Thank you, worship team. Well, hello there, everybody. The last day of 2023. Are you guys excited? We made it. If you got your Bibles, I can't think of a better way to spend the end of 2023 than going through the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is in the latter portion of your Bible, latter portion of the New Testament. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 today. We're going to be looking at verses 19 to 25. And I encourage you to follow along if you brought your own Bible today. If not, we'll put it on the screen as I read it. So here we go. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Finally, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, today, as Pastor Danny mentioned, we get the exciting opportunity to invite you into our new series, introduce you guys to our New Year's series that's going to carry over into 2024, and it's titled, Let's Go. Let's Go. I love those two words, and I was thinking to myself, when else have I heard those, that phrase in my life before? And I thought of three instances. So the first instance is going to reveal my bias a little bit. Uh, how many of you guys listen to the Three Crosses podcast? Not a lot of hands. That's okay. But now you know we have a podcast, so download it. It's awesome. And if you're a listener, you know that we start every episode by saying this certain phrase, let's go deeper. Awesome. I heard it. Good for you. Let's go deeper. And the reason I love this phrase is because a bunch of Bible nerds are sitting at a table talking about things, and we get to invite you into this awesome opportunity of the depths of Scripture. We're so excited. I think of myself standing in like front of Disneyland or something and saying, all you guys, come on. What are we waiting for? Let's go deeper, right? The second instance I was thinking about, uh, I brought my oldest daughter ice skating. You guys went ice skating this year, yeah? Okay, so I brought my oldest daughter ice skating about three times this year, and the first time she was terrified, right? The ice is hard. It's not very easy to ice skate. And we had that walker. I was holding on to her for dear life, but... I knew as a parent, she was around right around the age to, to start skating independently. And yet I also knew there was going to be some obstacles. She might fall. Her feet might hurt. And so here's how the conversation went. I said, Ellie, look, I know this is going to be tough. I know you might fall. It might be get your pants wet. Skating, hard, skating is hard. But if you just hold on, you got this. I know you got this. Let's go. You can do this. And what resulted is uh, her skating independently for the first time, and it brought such a smile to her face. It was awesome. Yeah, good for you, Ellie. Um, the third one that pretty quickly popped into my mind uh, actually comes from my athletic days. Uh, I, I played sports growing up, and uh, the thing about sports is you don't perform as you'd like to all the time. 
And when that happens, uh, a discussion is forthcoming from one of your coaches. And let me tell you, I've had a couple of fiery coaches back in the day. And when I wasn't performing, this is how the conversation went. He usually would get in front of me, get into my face, and say, AJ, what in the world is happening right now? What is going on? I've seen you do this millions of times, and yet today something's off. Let's go. Let's go. I need you. Your team needs you. Let's go. Let this be a wake-up call. And my coach wasn't trying to shame me in that moment, but he, he knew that I was better. There was something better. There was a better performance around the corner. And as I think about this, this phrase, let's go, the commonality between those three uh, examples is that they're all invitations into something better. Sometimes it's an exciting invitation, an easy one, let's go. Sometimes it's a tender challenge, let's go. But sometimes it's like an outright confrontation, let's go. But it's always something better. And that's why I love the book of Hebrews here. Because Hebrews throughout the book is going to argue that Jesus is the better one. That's a summary of the book of Hebrews in one sentence. Jesus is the better one. And you see, Hebrews 1 to 9, chapters 1 to 9, is going to argue that over and over again. Jesus is the better one. And then we get to chapter 10, which is where our verses are today. And did you notice, reading it, that the author is calling us to respond? Take a look. Verse 22. Let us. Verse 23. Let us. Verse 24. Let us. Three let us statements. And so if you have your Bible, take a look, a closer look at each one. The first one, let us draw near to God. You guys, I can't think of a more awesome, epic, exciting opportunity than to draw near to the God of the universe of all things. What are we waiting for? Let's go. This is awesome. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Look, I know life's going to be hard. You might fall. It might hurt. But if you just hold on, I know there's something better Let's go. You got this. And if you're following the analogy, you get to the third one. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. The only one that's qualified by a negative action that's happening in the community. In other words, the author of Hebrews is taking the podium looking us in the face and saying, what is happening? What are these people doing that have stopped meeting? I, I know you guys know better than this. Let's go. Let this be a wake-up call to meet together, meet together, meet together, get in the habit. And, and it feels kind of uncomfortable a little bit to our 21st century ears. It's like, author of Hebrews, chill out. Calm down, man. R relax. You know, maybe they, they were watching football. Maybe they were, uh, you know, with their family. Maybe they were doing something else. But, but, but why does he care so much about meeting together? And it's interesting because th this phenomenon in the 21st century, uh, the relevancy of the church and gathering as a community of believers is on a little bit of shaky ground, maybe if not on the decline. And so I pulled a, a graph from uh, Gallup Gallup Poll did a, a chart in 2022, and it's very simple. They asked a bunch of Christians, what's your involvement with the church? And you can see on the decline, 
are people that attend church weekly. On the uprise are self-proclaimed Christians that never attend a church. And on the steady, yeah, about once a month. And so at best, our view of church is, yeah, it's a nice add-on. It's cool. It brings more to my Christian life. And yet, the Hebrew author feels it's important enough to get into our business and say, let's go. What are we doing? Let's wake up. The question I want to ask today is why does the author of Hebrews care so deeply about meeting together? Meeting as a church, meeting as a community of believers. Why, does, why, do, why do they care so much? So today I want to look at our passage here within the broader context of the book of Hebrews and remind all of us on this year end that deep connections still matter and that routinely engaging in the, in the gathering of believers is not only important, but it's critical. And so, are you guys ready to take this journey with me? Well, then the only thing I have left to say is... Let's go. Awesome. You see, I love the book of Hebrews because the author's reasoning is, is so entrenched in this new and better reality that's been made by Jesus. In fact, again, we've been given three let us statements, and the author gives us the exact reasoning behind those three let us statements right here in these verses, verses 19 to 21. So if you're following along, we're going to follow those verses and look for the reasons behind those three let us statements. And we're going to look and see if we can explain the reasons why this author feels it so important, so necessary to add community as an important aspect of the faith. So let's take a closer look at verses 19 to 21 here. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the what? By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. Let's pause there. If you like to mark up your Bible like I do, go ahead and underline body and blood. Because the first new and better reality that the author of Hebrews wants to point out is that Jesus is our better sacrifice. Jesus is our better sacrifice. Jesus gets described in the book of Hebrews as the exact representation of the nature of God. In other words, yes, Jesus was a man who lived in human history, but the unique claim about Christians is that he is God in the flesh. 100% divine, 100% human, without any conflict or confusion. And that's why the Hebrew author says, Jesus is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Whatever he says is going to be true and everlasting. And so when Jesus says, I'm coming to bring a new covenant, that covenant is going to be true and everlasting. The author of Hebrews uh, takes some language from the Old Testament to explain this new covenant. In Hebrews 8, it says, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. They will all know me. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. A beautiful vision of this new covenant. And yet the Hebrew author spends a lot of time figuring out how this new covenant is going to be initiated, inaugurated, started. Because when we look at the old covenant... Forgiveness of sins and atonement was made through the sacrifice 
of animals, through the blood spilt of, of goats and bulls. And this is where the Hebrew author says, wait a second, we have a sacrifice made by God in the flesh. Hebrews 9 says, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Jesus is our better sacrifice. And yet, when we have this conversation of sacrifice and and hearts being transformed and, and cleansing, again, we're looking back for reasonings for those three let us statements. And we see it, it doesn't really match this community piece, but it, it, if you look closely, it matches the first let us statement. The first one in verse 22. We'll take a closer look. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled, sacrifice language, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. A lot of new covenant forgiveness language in that first one. And so really, we've only found a reason for that first let us statement, leaving that third one about community hanging a little bit. And here's, here's the issue. I've seen a lot of people say, well, can't I just enjoy God's forgiveness, God's transformation within the confines of my own home? Can't I just enjoy all the benefits of what I have in faith in Jesus, his sacrifice on my own, without involving all these church people? That's when things get really complicated. Can't I just be by myself? So it seems like we need to dig a little bit deeper for more reasons. So go back to to verses 19 to 21, and we'll continue on. Because it says, and, meaning there's a second reason, since we have a great priest. Over the house of God. If you'd like to mark up your Bible, underline great priest. The second new reality that the author of Hebrews wants you to see is that Jesus is our better high priest. Our better high priest. Now, if you don't know what a priest is, it's basically somebody who represents someone or something, stands in the place of someone or something. And the author of Hebrews describes Jesus as this greater representative because he's the heir of all things. All things belong to him. And not only that, he created all things. Jesus is the one for whom and through whom everything exists. And as the creator, not only do all things belong to him, he understands all things. And so he's described as the greater Moses who wants to advocate on behalf of the people. And we have a high priest who took on flesh so that what he assumed in his body, he was able to redeem. The author of Hebrews puts it like this. He had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus is our better high priest. So we take that logic, and we start to look again for those three let us statements. We found a good reason for the first one, but now I want to show you how the author's logic about the high priest leads to a better explanation for that second let us statement. We still haven't found the third one, so so let's take a look at why I would say that it fits the second one. Here's Hebrews 4. Therefore, since we do have a great high priest 
who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. And here's the key phrase. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We've seen that already in verse 23 of of chapter 10. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So we have three let us statements. We have a good explanation for why we should draw near to God. We have a good explanation for why we should hold on unswervingly to the faith. And before we get to the third one, I want to stop here. Because I have a feeling that many of us in this room, me, myself included, that either unknowingly, unwittingly, have a faith that emphasizes these first two let us statements without acknowledging the third one about community. Let me give you an example. Uh, My faith is based on Jesus' sacrifice for my sins. I stand clean and washed of my sin before God. I stand justified. And because Jesus is my high priest, I get to walk with him on my own journey, my own journey process of sanctification. And now, now let me be clear. Hear me on this. These two things that I just said are, in fact, critical to the Christian faith. They're extremely important. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through the work of Jesus Christ alone. And anybody who's saved is going to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus each and every day. Justification, sanctification. But the problem is, if we don't have a solid grounding on that third let us statement about community, do you see how quickly that can disappear from our lives, from our relevancy, from our radars? Do you see how quickly this whole journey of faith can quickly become about my own individualistic journey? And so we start looking at things that that deal with Christianity and we say, I don't know if I like that teaching style. I don't know if I like that worship music. I don't know if I like that outreach program. I don't know if I like this ministry direction. I don't know if I like these people. And it becomes quickly about me. But the problem with this is that we weren't given two let us statements. We were given three. Three completes the full picture. And let this blow your mind a little bit. The author of Hebrews feels it, it's important enough to take the forgiveness of our sins, for you theology nerds out there, the justification of your sins, this ongoing process of sanctification, of becoming like our high priest, those two theological juggernauts that have defined our faith for, for centuries. And the author of Hebrews feels it's important enough to add the third one right in the midst of those two, community. And so, so we have forgiveness of sins, we have high priest, and we have church. See, see, to us it just doesn't feel like it fits in there. But the author of Hebrews says, yeah, it's those three together. you got to have those three. So the question remains, what is the author of Hebrews seeing here that perhaps we may be blind to? in the 21st century. Perhaps we haven't even thought of. We've, we've emphasized and elevated these two critical things, but we've missed the third. What is the author of Hebrews seeing? And so one more time, let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 21. 
And I want to show you that the answer has been lying in front of us this whole entire time. We just need to have eyes to see it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, if you've been marking along, go ahead and circle most holy place, living way, curtain, house of God. Because the third reality that the author of Hebrews wants you to see is that Jesus is and always has been leading us to a better temple. A better temple. I can hear some silence in the room because we might not be sure what a temple is. So let me give you a crash course on the temple. The temple in ancient times was essentially where the king set up shop. It's where his throne would be. And if he had a vast territory of land, he would send out images of himself so that all of the land would be reminded who is on the throne. And so this story of a temple takes us all the way back to the beginning of the Bible where God set up the heavens and the earth and said, I am going to set up shop in the midst of my creation. And better yet, I'm going to create something called image bearers. Image bearers, humans, Adam and Eve, who were commissioned to be fruitful and multiply and become this community that would spread and spread the glory of God to the ends of the earth. And so we have a place where God dwells with his people, and we have a place where the people of God would, would multiply, become this community under the rule of God, spreading his glory. But sin entered the world and disrupted that temple vision. You see these image bearers submitted to the rule of another, submitted to the rule of the serpent, of sin. And yes, they did multiply, and instead of bringing glory to God, they brought wickedness, evil, disaster. And better yet, because of our sin, we were exiled from the direct presence of God. We didn't have access to him. And the good news is that God, in his great mercy, decided to step into the story and reestablish this beautiful vision of the temple from the very beginning. He did it through a people called Israel. He did it through a system called the tabernacle where he set up shop amidst his people. He did it in the temple uh, later on as, as they dwelt permanently in the city of Jerusalem. And the beautiful refrain throughout the Old Testament is that, God, I will dwell among you. I will be your God. You will be my people. And to the community in Exodus 19, it says, If you just obey my voice and keep my covenant, you, community of Israel, shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That same people that was designed to spread blessings to the nations. But what we learn from the tabernacle and the temple is that there's two things standing in the way. Two things standing in the way of that temple vision. The first one, would sin ever be dealt with? Would sin ever be dealt with? You see, in the tabernacle and in the temple, sin was dealt with on a regular basis through the sacrifice 
of animals, through the shed blood, through the atonement of this old covenant. Ah, the author of Hebrews says, wait a second, we have a better sacrifice. We have a better sacrifice. Jesus is our better sacrifice. Jesus is the one that took care of sin once and for all. Hebrews 10.10 says it like this. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You see, the author of Hebrews is saying, wait, that first obstacle that we needed to deal with to get back to the temple, it's been dealt with. But yet there was a second one. And the second one is, would this community of people ever become that kingdom of priests? You see, it's one thing to deal with the sin of an individual, but it's another thing to get the community together under the rule of God and and on their mission to bless the nations. Would the community ever do that? Because we look back at the tabernacle and the temple and we're tempted to think all they did was atone for the sacrifice of their sins, but, but that's only part of the story. I think of the peace offering, an offering given to the Lord, and the the remnant of that offering was essentially used to throw a community barbecue. Awesome, right? I I think of different things like, like the festivals that they were designed to celebrate, where the community came together and celebrated the the rules of God. I think about the laws that governed the community of people. And finally, I think about the high priest. The high priest, who in Leviticus 17 went into the most holy place. And it says that he he had to make atonement for the sins of himself, the sins of his household. But the beautiful thing about the high priest is that he was able to make atonement for the entire nation of Israel. The author of Hebrews says, aha, there it is, the second hurdle overcome. We have a better high priest We have a better high priest who didn't enter the most holy place made by human hands, but he entered into God's presence himself. Not to make atonement for individuals, but to think about the community aspect of things. Hebrews 12 lands the entire plane of of, of Hebrews by saying, this is all about coming to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. And it ends in, in verse 28 like this. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You see, you have been saved from your sin. That is 100% true. But recognize this. You have been saved from your sin for better life in the kingdom. You've been saved from sin for better life in the kingdom. That's why when Jesus comes on the scene, his message is is repent and believe the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom is like this. The kingdom is like that. And there's all these teachings about how to live together in the kingdom. When he's about to ascend, his disciples have a conversation with him, and they're looking for a kingdom, and Jesus doesn't correct them. He just says, it's coming. That's why when you put this this temple lens, when you read on the scriptures, you put this kingdom lens, you start to see some things that that maybe you've never seen before. And it's so hard to to spot, but but take a look. You look at the apostles' writing, and you see that they can't fathom a gospel that separates our personal forgiveness and this community aspect. No, they go hand in hand together. 
I think of Ephesians 2. We said salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, through the work of Jesus alone. That comes from Ephesians 2. Well, Ephesians 2 goes to talk about the dividing wall that's been broken down between Jew and Gentile, and it lands a plane like this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see, Jesus' work on the cross gives us his Holy Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, don't you guys know you now are the place where God dwells. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And together we are being built up into this beautiful community, this temple, this kingdom community. That's why Paul is always talking about household ethics, how to live with community relationships, and all the various ways we follow what was once known as the way of Jesus. Peter puts it like this. You, Christians... Also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You, church, are the chosen people. You are that royal priesthood that we've been looking for. You are that holy nation. You are God's special possession. That you may go out spreading God's glory, declaring the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful You see, if we fail to meet together, if that falls from our radar, if we don't put an emphasis on that, we're missing where where all of this is headed. We're missing where where Jesus' sacrifice leads to, where where Jesus' atonement as the high priest leads to, this beautiful way toward the kingdom. And that is why we have the third let us statement. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You might be inspired saying, hey, I, I want to take action in 2024. I'm looking for some New Year's resolutions. Well, let me, let me give you some. First, to the non-Christians in this room, maybe you're on the outside looking into this kingdom community. My encouragement would be to respond to the good news of the kingdom that Jesus brings. You see, I would point you to Romans 10.9, which says two things. Declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That second part, believing that God raised him from the dead, do you believe that Jesus' sacrifice atones for sins once and for all? That Jesus' work was effective in your life? The proof of that is God raising him from the dead. But don't miss that first one either. Declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? Jesus is Lord. That means our our lives belong to him now. That means our our lives are are engrafted into this kingdom project that he's got going on. Through the spirit, we all come together being built together. Respond to the gospel. Church members, if you're in here, i got three things for you. First, Commit in 2024 to intentionally loving your church community. I say intentionally loving because if we approach this 
with me at the center, it can become very egocentric. But it becomes less about what can I get out of this and more about how can I contribute to what Paul calls the body. I'm a part of this. You are a part of this. How can you contribute? What, what can we do to continue to love one another? And perhaps you're still kind of like trying to get your way in. That's the, the good thing about this app that we're talking about. It's going to make this church feel a lot smaller as we get to know everybody who's coming and touching our campus. And the, the beautiful thing about that app, too, is in the second point from the scripture We're called to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So we have to know what good deeds to which we are being called. And you'll see, when you download the app, you'll see a bunch of different good deeds that we've listed that we think would be great next steps for all of you guys. And so my encouragement would be, hey, check those out. Know what good deeds to which you're being called. And finally, the first one on that app that I got assigned to talk about is attending worship services. And the reason we call them worship services is because we want to create this space to serve you guys so that you guys can practice meeting together and develop a good habit. We love Sundays because this is the only place where you really can't choose your neighbors. Uh, For the most part, in a lot of communities, you can choose who you want to hang out with, but uh, you just look around. There is so many faces that I've never met, so I'm sorry if I haven't met you, but just the amazing diversity in this room of people. We can't, we can't choose our family. It's like, almost like a family dinner. But this is a good practice to start rubbing shoulders with your church body. I want to close by looking at the end of verse 25 there because it says something really important. This thing about community and this kingdom should be all the more true as you see the day Approaching. Did you guys catch that in the verse? As you see the day approaching. And so we stand here at the end of 2023. And we look back and we say, man, this world is getting crazy, isn't it? We can all sense that, that the Lord's return might be coming soon. <laughs> and let, let me tell you, 2024 is probably not going to be different. You guys, we have something called an election year in 2024. Um, it's bound to get crazy. It's bound to get crazy. But I love the ending of this text because notice the commission for us is not as you see the day of the Lord approaching, find somebody that's going to agree with your theological position about how this is all going to shake down. It's not, hey, find a church that's going to accurately pinpoint everything that's happening in the global world to, to lead to this point because it's a futile attempt because not, not even the sun knows when that's going to happen. The commission here is find a church. Begin living in the church community. Begin living in the kingdom. Do you have people that can excitingly invite you back in when you're, when you're falling off? Can you have people that, that can tenderly challenge you when you're trying to hold on? And can you have people that will outright confront you in love when you're falling off track? Are you living in the kingdom community because there's one thing we can all agree on about the day of the Lord's return. It's that God wins. God wins in the end. And let me tell you something. God's victory looks an awful lot like a temple. Revelation 21. 
I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Church, we have the opportunity to live that now and this is the better reality to which all of human history is leading to. So I have nothing more to say except let's go. Let me pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, I think about the great command to love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Lord, help us. Help us in this individualistic culture to see the value of of what you're building in the church community. Let this not be about me and my preferences, but let this be a year where I dedicate myself to, to loving my church community. Heavenly Father, help us realize that we have none of this without the forgiveness of our sins. We have none of this if you don't approach as the high priest and make atonement for all of us. And help us realize that what is true in my spiritual walk is equally as true for the Christians in this room. You're working in all of us, Lord. And help us look around today and see what it looks like to become a temple, making spiritual sacrifices to God and worshiping you together. Looking forward to that day when your temple will be fully realized, where you will dwell with us and we will reign with you forever and ever. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.